Thank you, Amelia. Good morning, church. So, uh, my friend has been asking me out to cycle to get me back to health. God bless her soul. One day, we decided to do the PCN coast-to-coast trail. The plan was to meet under uh, the Toguan flyover in Jurong East before using the flyover bridge to cross into uh, to cross the PIE into Bukit Batok. The morning of the ride, she texted me when she reached Jurong East, which was the queue for me to set off from home. Sometime later, she updated that she was at the coffee shop near our meeting point, coffee shop somewhere near point A. Since I was early, I rode up to the coffee shop thinking I would catch her coming down. But when I reached point A on the map, I couldn't see her. Maybe she's not here yet, I thought. Just then, she sent me a photo of her location. She's under the Toguan flyover already. Huh? PCN only saw white, right? How can we cycle past each other without seeing one another? So I quickly turned back to the meeting point. When I got there, she wasn't there. Okay, maybe she crossed over to Bukit Batu side already, you know, maybe impatient person, yeah. So I also crossed over to point B on the map, but I still couldn't see her. We exchanged photos. Are you on the coast-to-coast trail? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is the right place, right? And then we, yeah. At this point, I was beginning to suspect that I cycled into a parallel universe. Mysteriously unable to find each other, even though we're on the same trail, we changed our meeting point to Bukit Batok Nature Park, which is a few kilometers away, and we successfully met up over there, though we didn't see each other on the way at all, and had a good day of cycling after that. Things would have been different if Jesus were physically with us on our cycling trip. Jesus would have been able to tell me, oh, she's there under the big tree. This is because Jesus has omniscience, meaning he's all-knowing, all-seeing. How do I know this about Jesus? Our passage from the Gospel of John reviews this. You see, when Philip went looking for his friend Nathaniel, Jesus didn't go with Philip. Yet he knew where Nathaniel was. Now let's be clear, Jesus didn't plan an air attack on Philip and he wasn't tracking live location on WhatsApp. Huh? But Jesus knew where Nathaniel was when Nathaniel was still, sorry, uh, when Philip was still looking for him. He says in verse 48, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. From this we know, Jesus is all-seeing. Furthermore, Jesus had knowledge of Nathaniel's personality, that it was the exact opposite of his lying and conniving ancestor, Jacob, before God changed his name to Israel. Verse 47, Jesus said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. To speak plainly, a true descendant of Israel, in whom there is no trace of Jacob. But Nathaniel was very surprised and exclaimed, How is it that you know me, even though we've never met? From this we know, Jesus is all-knowing. John recorded these things in his gospel to reveal to us that Jesus has the power of omniscience. As great as it is, omniscience is not the greatest thing that John reveals about Jesus in this passage. The greater thing is Jesus' self-revelation in verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. 
Jesus is revealing himself as a mediator between heaven and earth. In the rest of this uh, more theological sermon, we're going to look at the function of a mediator, the need for mediation, and why Jesus is the only mediator of eternal salvation. Now, Jesus' self-revelation is built on the words of Jacob's dream, which is recorded in our reading from Genesis. Let's read verses 12 to 13 again. And Jacob dreamed, and behold, there was a leather set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. We shall not be detained by frivolous questions about the dream asking how wide is the ladder if angels can go up and down at the same time? Or why do angels even need a ladder when they can fly? The point of the dream is to inform us that communication between heaven and earth open up that night. God has come to speak to Jacob to pass down to him the covenant of Abraham and Isaac to give him a name, to bless him with land and offspring and make his household a blessing to all the families of the earth. The ladder is the means by which communication and covenantal relationship between God and Jacob were made possible. When Jesus quotes this dream in verse 51, he replaces the ladder with the Son of Man. Since the Son of Man refers to Jesus, Jesus is saying, that he is the ladder. Indeed, the ladder was only a symbol which is now revealed to represent Christ. In other words, Jesus is the one who makes communication between humans and God possible. This particular role of Jesus is traditionally known as mediator. The Old Testament world doesn't have a concept of mediation. The closest is the idea of a prophet a person who stands before God to intercede for men and stands before God to testify uh, for God. The concept of mediator comes from ancient Greek culture. Therefore, it is only in the New Testament that we see the term being employed. But even then, it is rare because the Bible only recognizes two historical figures as mediators. One of them is Jesus. Hebrews 9.15 says, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. Want to guess who's the second one? Okay, never mind. The second is Moses. Galatians 3.19 says, Moses is the mediator of the law. Now, the Greek word mediator refers to a person who mediates between two parties to remove a disagreement or reach a common goal. Literally, standing in the middle of two parties to negotiate an agreement and restore a broken relationship. The mediator is typically a neutral third party who is able to represent the interests of the two in conflict. Therefore, when we say Jesus and Moses are mediators between heaven and earth, we understand them to do the work of reconciling God to humans and humans to God. Before we see how this is done, we must ask, why is there a need for mediation? Jacob's dream gives us a picture. God is above. Humans are below. We are separated by God, from God by a huge physical distance. 
The fact that the ladder was set up on earth to reach heaven and not drop down from heaven to reach earth tells us that it is not God who cannot descend to us, but humans cannot ascend to God by ourselves. We need help to gain access to God, to have a relationship with him in order to receive his blessings. This is not an issue of building a tall enough ladder or flying high enough to see God. Remember that physical distance is ultimately only symbolic of the insurmountable distance between God and humans. The theologian Emil Brunner puts it this way. It is not enough to say that we are far away from God, that our life is not like the divine life, that God has to come a long way to reach us. It is not merely the fact that we belong to a different order of being, that we are finite, which separates us from God. This would be a merely negative separation, a mere sense of incompleteness. The truth is rather that between us and God, there is an obstacle which blocks the way like a great boulder, an obstacle so great that we cannot push it out of the way by our own efforts. This obstacle is sin, or rather guilt. Brunner goes on to say that if sin is a perversion of human nature, then guilt is that perversion actually taken place. Since guilt is in the past that can never be made good, guilt will always be a part of our present. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm reminded about the things that I've done in the past, like that time, wait, can I tell you? Yeah. Guilt arises when I think of these things. And I want to hide my face. Sometimes I want to slap myself, you know. Times like this, I pray that nobody remembers what I've done. Nevertheless, my sin makes me feel unholy to come before God. My guilt makes me feel unworthy to be serving God. The temptation is always to avoid God, quit ministry, and leave the church. And I would have fallen if not because I know and trust Jesus. I believe he sees and knows me, so I pray to him. I believe he forgives me, so I confess my past sins. I believe in spite of his omniscience, he will remember my sins no more, so I declare myself set free and praise God. The deeper the guilt removed, the louder the praise resounds. Memories can return to us, but we need not be haunted by sin and guilt because Jesus mediates forgiveness from God. But we're running ahead of ourselves. So when I read Brunner, I recall that there is this bridge diagram which is often used to share the gospel. The diagram shows humans on one side of a bottomless chasm unable to cross over to God, if not for Jesus Christ who lays himself down as a bridge so that we may cross over. He is usually represented by a cross because we don't want to be stepping over his dead body. This is a great way to explain the gospel, don't get me wrong. But I imagine Brunner's reaction to this would be, no, no chasm, big boulder. Yeah. Okay, so maybe we add a boulder. Uh, but then Jacob would come along and say, Jesus is a ladder, not a bridge. 
Okay, so maybe we have to move God up, draw a cross-shaped ladder, add more boulders to cover up our mistakes, and don't forget to add the angels in case he remembers. Yeah, so there. <laughs> you have my permission to use this in the future. But I think it's better to stick to the uh, simplified version. Yeah? yeah. In any case, we get the point. Our fallen human condition is the reason why we are separated from God and why it is impossible for us to return to him. Even if it were within our power, we will not look for God because he is angry with us. If your mother is angry with you, what do you do? You go to her? No, right? You close the door, hide in your room, go outside. Yeah. Same with God. Then the truth is, God will not descend to us, but not because he doesn't care. God loves us. He cares about us. He sees and knows everything about us. But his holy righteousness demands that he judges guilty sinners. He cannot come down in the fullness of his glory or we shall all perish in flames. Hence, he speaks to us in dreams and visions and through angels to protect us from himself. This is why we need a mediator. And our mediator has his work cut out for him. On the one hand, the mediator must find a way to pay the wages of sin so that God can come to us. On the other hand, the mediator must find a way to secure the forgiveness of God so that we will be willing to draw near to him. And all of this must be done without any of us dying. Anyone has any ideas on how to do this? Fortunately, God in his wisdom has already a couple of ideas before the foundation of the world. And he communicated these agreements to us through his chosen mediators at the chosen time. Moses mediated the first agreement, or the old covenant, standing literally between the Lord and Israel on Mount Sinai, Moses declared to them the word of the Lord. In a nutshell, the deal goes like this. If Israel agrees to be his people, then God will allow them to dwell in his presence and receive his benefits. The condition is they must appoint priests and through them offer sacrifices to atone for their sins and guilt. As it happened, Israel agreed to this covenant and there was reconciliation. However, it was a temporary and fragile peace. Temporary because the sacrifices must be offered again and again. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Fragile, because the Israelites continually rebelled against the Lord, incurring his anger time and again. The old covenant was eventually broken because of Israel's unfaithfulness. Then Jesus came to mediate a second, better covenant. The new agreement is this. If people will believe... Have faith in God. Then God will allow them into the kingdom of heaven to enjoy his benefits. The condition is, there are no conditions. God in his great grace and compassion decided that there is nothing we need to perform nor fulfill. Because the mediator of the new covenant, Jesus, is also a high priest of the order of Melchizedek and is also the sacrificial lamb for the sins of the world. He's everything. By sacrificing himself upon the cross, Jesus secured the forgiveness of sins by satisfying the demands of our holy God. 
and by his blood, we are cleansed of all our sins and guilt. There now exists everlasting peace between God and believers because of Christ. But there is more. Heaven is now open to those who believe. With unrestricted access to God through Jesus, we can offer up unlimited prayers, intercessions, confessions, thanksgiving and praise to God because Jesus is the way to the Father. And by the way, that's why we pray and end our prayers in Jesus' name. And God pours out his blessings upon us from open heaven, including bread to eat, clothing to wear, safety in our travels, peace in our families, success at work, salvation for our household, and above all, eternal rest in the kingdom. It's a very good deal. And Jesus brought it down to us in the flesh. Otherwise, we wouldn't know God's plan for us. While he was on earth, he mediated this new covenant through his proclamations of the kingdom. Today, his mediation continues through his spirit and his word. Through word and spirit, Jesus continues to persuade us to take this deal, to be reconciled to God by faith and receive his blessings. Now, will you take this deal or not? Yesterday, at least got one guy raised up hand. This, okay, never mind. <laughs> A few questions we may ask at this point. How is it that Jesus' one sacrifice could accomplish for us what numerous animal sacrifices could not do? Did it have to be a human sacrifice? If so, suppose another human volunteered to die for us, on the cross, no less, would that be sufficient to mediate peace? We must affirm that no human being by his own works is able to stand before holy God, let alone speak for the entire human race. As it is written, if someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? That is to say, no human can negotiate with God. Only Jesus can mediate eternal salvation. The Apostle Paul affirms this. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. But the question remains, why is Jesus able? Tell me, how do you connect a computer with a USB-C port to a television with an HDMI port? You use a USB-C to HDMI adapter. Similarly, to mediate between God and humans, you need a God-to-man adapter. Yeah, I've caught Jesus' various things, vacuum cleaner, ladder, now adapter. Okay. Our gospel passage, which we have neglected so far, reveals this dual nature of Jesus Christ. First, Jesus is God. At the beginning of the sermon, we've already seen Jesus demonstrating the power of omniscience. This is proof of his divine nature because God is omniscient. If we compare Jesus with the Lord God in our Genesis reading, we'll see that they are one and the same. Just look at Genesis 28, verse 11. And Jacob came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Observe where Jacob stayed that night. 
It was a certain place, meaning an unfamiliar place, meaning Jacob didn't know where he is. We're told later that Jacob was in the city of Luz, which he renamed Bethel. However, that night, when the sun had set and it was so dark that he could not see and had to stop walking, that night, Jacob didn't know where he is. Although Jacob didn't know where he is, God knows where he is. God found Jacob that night and spoke to him in his dreams. My friend and I arranged for a meeting point and yet we couldn't find each other. How did God find Jacob when Jacob didn't even know where he is? The Lord is able to find him because he is all-seeing and all-knowing. And since Jesus knew where Nathanael was in the same way God knows where Jacob is, Jesus is God. Second, Jesus is man. In our passage, our disciples refer to him using various introductions and titles which indicate they understand him to be a human being. For example, Philip introduced him as Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. The original Greek reads, Jesus, the son of Joseph, the one from Nazareth. There is particular emphasis on Jesus being the son of a human father. That is to say, Philip knew and introduced Jesus primarily as a man. Then Nathanael called Jesus the Son of God, the King of Israel. What do these titles mean? Now since Philip and Nathanael were both students of the law and prophets, they know that God promised David that he will treat David's descendants like his own son. That is where they derive the title, the Son of God. Philip and Nathanael also know that a descendant of David will reunite Judah and Israel and become the sole sovereign that is, the king of Israel. Hence, when Nathanael called Jesus the son of God, the king of Israel, it was not because he already recognized Jesus as God and heavenly king. It was because he believed Jesus is the Messiah, the son of David, an earthly king who has come to set them free from oppression. What the disciples of Jesus said about him tell us that they knew him as a fellow human being. They had no reason to think otherwise. But we who have the full revelation of Christ from the complete canon of scripture, we know that he is truly God and truly man. And this unique dual nature of Christ is the reason why he is uniquely qualified to represent both God and man as mediator of internal salvation without whom we are doomed. How do we respond to this revelation about Jesus? First, believe. Then, follow. And if you've done the above, then it's time to introduce Jesus to new people. We know that Nathaniel was introduced to Jesus by his friend Philip. Did you know that Philip was introduced to Jesus by his neighbor Peter? and that Peter was introduced to Jesus by his brother, Andrew. And Andrew was introduced to Jesus by his teacher, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was introduced to Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Everyone needs to be introduced to Jesus by someone else, because a great 
boulder blocks our view of God and we cannot find him on our own. Understanding this to be the truth and what Jesus has done for us. Let us join the long line of witnesses from the apostles reaching down to us today and introduce Jesus to someone new. Especially this year when we are called to step up, step up. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we are humbled and terrified that you know and see us all the time, everywhere. Yet because you sent your Son to mediate the new covenant, we know you and we know your heart is for us. You do not despise us, but you sympathize with our weaknesses. You want to set us free and wash us clean. Therefore, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit come to us again. Call us to yourself. Make us believe. Draw us to follow. Show us your glory. And as our collect for the second Sunday of Epiphany has prompted us, we ask, Lord, your Holy Spirit, come to us. Come, Lord, and fill this congregation for this new year. Come, Lord, you see and know each one, what is in their hearts, what is on their minds. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill them once again. Minister your comfort, Give us your grace. Come, Holy Spirit. Continue to work in us, Lord, for the rest of this service and the rest of this day. And empower us to go out to find those whom you love also and bring them to you. We bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.